I'm Mike Gillis. And I'm Casey Doran. And this is Radio vs. the Martians. Are you okay, Rob? No, I'm fine. Okay. okay. All right. Because I know you've done four-hour episodes before. I've I've been peeing into a jar this whole time. <laughs> um, is that what gets you hot, man? Is that what does it for you? <laughs> I know it was funny. When you guys were going on and on about the new Frontiersman, all I could think of was saying, all of this stuff can be seen on uh, TedCruzForPresident.com. <laughs> Oh, man, you can do it for real, folks. Yeah. Vote geez. Cruz. <laughs> Vote Cruz. Oh, man. The new Frontiersman, I believe, endorsed him. <laughs> <laughs> okay, do you want to know for me... Are, we, are you recording? Yes, go for yes, it. Do you recording. want to know for me what was one of the weirdest changes in the film adaptation and one that I think... One of the thing, one of the betrayals is is after the apocalypse is over, you see a newspaper. Newspapers lying around all over the place are one of the awesome things about it. In a newsstand that says... RR to run in 1988. Yes. And it's Robert Redford. Yes. Yeah. Not Ronald Reagan, <laughs> which it becomes Ronald Reagan in the film, and I have no idea why. Yeah, why the hell did they do no, that? I mean, it's it. Uh, Robert Redford is a repudiation. He he's basically the polar opposite of Ronald Reagan, and it's kind of a thorn in a thorn in the the, the claw or a thorn in the whatever you're saying the paw the thorn in the paw the of thorn the, in the claw the thorn in the claw of What's, the new frontiersman, and that's what makes it so juicy. Like because then you're transitioning right into their story because he's but a like, liberal. But why did they? Why would they change it? Because why, they want to take. Uh, a, that's exactly because they want to take a shot at Bush. That's it's a, a shot at George W. Bush, who was president at the time the movie came out. Or was just finished being president. Um, they because they said the line in the thing was why do I want you know we at the new frontiersmen oh, do not some kind of cowboy as a president. yeah we don't want a cowboy actor in as president and in the original book it's taking a shot at Reagan using uh, Robert Redford uh-huh. and in the new one they say we don't want a cowboy in the White House so they're using Ronald Reagan to attack George W. Bush yeah. they're trying to be topical and failing. <laughs> yeah so yeah. oddly enough it was ronald reagan who said that uh who actually told the u.n that he did he thought the thing that would most unite earth would be an uh, alien invasion <laughs> he actually said that at the u.n so, so if, all of those years in hollywood he learned something yeah <laughs> <laughs> who would have thought that a guy who was working in the 50s in hollywood would think about aliens <laughs> <laughs> but Speaking of Hollywood failure, have you guys seen this thing with Uwe Boll? We were talking about him oh, in the yeah. last point five. Oh, fuck, what? This is the most interesting thing that Uwe Boll's ever done. It's also the best movie he's ever made. <laughs> his, I don't know. Have you seen this, quitting, Rob? His quitting movie? Sorry. I, yeah, I have. Yeah. Okay. I've lived in a bunker. Somebody tell me what happened. Okay, so Uwe Boll, who's famous for making really shitty uh, movies that are made out of video games, yeah. tried to do a Kickstarter to do his next movie. He's done uh, bilking the German taxpayers, Because the law changed, yeah. and he yeah. can't do it anymore. So he's no longer, like I said before, still not the worst thing German taxpayers have paid for. <laughs> <laughs> but he w- went to Kickstarter, went to the internet, and said, hey... There's a lot of money in this. People are, are funding movies over Kickstarter. So he tried to do his new movie on Kickstarter, and it fucking failed. 
It went over like a lead balloon. And he decided to do that same thing that that football player did when he blamed God for losing the thing. He started saying, fuck you to the people who didn't pay for his movie. Fuck you for not making me a success. Because, of course, it's everyone else's fault and not perhaps the question you always ask, what if it's me? What if I make <laughs> shitty movies and nobody likes me? What if that's the problem? Did, did Uwe Boll quit the internet? I hope Is so. Is that what happened? I will hope he quit everything. I hope he just goes and lives on a farm somewhere. Wow. Just, we were just talking him. about him. I just want him to walk away with a sad, incredible Hulk music following him, <laughs> and he goes to live on a mountain somewhere and doesn't make movies. <laughs> but yeah, that, that happened. That It's like- this is we summoned him. Uh, all I can say in response to him is "fuck you, Uvi Bowl." Yeah, <laughs> that's the only response I could give. Oh Jesus Christ! But- well, what would you would expect if he if he fails? I mean, we are like, to bring up last time. We are talking about somebody who beats up his online critics. Yes, that's <laughs> it's like what is it with certain people? They just become fucking man children. Uh, the same thing happened with uh, Jamie Kennedy. You know him? He's sort of like oh the, the E3 event. Oh no, is it? Oh shit! There's something else. I haven't heard about the E. Oh man, I haven't heard about that. But I know that there's a movie he did about hecklers, and he derails the whole movie on hecklers. You know who you know speak out and try to be the funniest guy in the room while you go to a stand-up routine. Yeah. Um, and he decides to actually confront somebody who wrote a bad article about the Son of the Mask. Which, to my money, is the worst movie ever made. And he was so angry at this guy that he decides to Michael Moore him and show up at his house to confront him about the bad review he gave a shitty movie. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Again, nobody asked the question, what if it's me? What if the movie's actually bad? And you know what? You know, get over it. Everybody hates everything. There is, because everything you love, think of the thing you love the most. We just did something on Watchmen. I love the shit out of Watchmen. If I really looked for it, I could find all the one-star ratings that it got on Amazon.com. Somebody hates it. And you know what? I can live with that. I can live with oh, somebody. Yeah. I'm sorry, Rob, go ahead. Oh, uh, yeah. No, if you go to IMDb.com, every single movie, every single movie at the, at the, at the, uh, the, uh, what is it the listener listener reader comments every single movie by some jack off is called the worst movie ever made <laughs> yeah citizen kane gone with the wind the godfather there's some idiot who's like i'm gonna show all you fuckers up godfather 2 worst movie ever made shawshank worst movie ever made you know it's, there's always somebody and you're like good lord where are these where do well, these people live i think it's Shit. it's you know a bloke broken a broken clock is right two times a day. In the case of Uvi Bull, every single movie he makes is the worst movie ever made. <laughs> well, right. Yeah, well. Schindler's point. List didn't have enough jokes in it. One star. <laughs> oh, jeez. But yeah, that's kind of what it is. But on the other end of things, can you hear something bad about something you like and not flip the fuck out? I mean, I've I've seen this in the, you know, being in the nerd portion of the internet. Um, a lot of shows and review things that I really enjoy will talk about something being terrible. Like, you know, they're like, oh, this movie was awful. Man of Steel was a piece of shit. And we said that. Yeah. And I think we've even got a comment like this before, you know, angrily defending it. And oftentimes when I'll see these review shows, they'll throw out this weird caveat that's there to sort of prevent or head this sort of angriness off of the path. Saying, you know, it's okay to like it. Of course it's okay to like it. Can we get to the point where we can hear that the thing we like is shit from somebody and not internalize it and act like we're being personally attacked? You know, yeah. 
let me let me put a really fine point on it with Zack Snyder because I'm apparently I'm not I'm not done pillorying him. Okay, um, I'll hold his arms and you get some body blows in. Okay, no, honestly, the biggest problem I have with the Zack Snyder movies is that they're not bad enough. If they were hmm. worse, I would have fun. They're competent, and that's it. Well, they were getting back into the low point for for Rob here and saying they're forgettable. Yeah, that's the worst thing any piece of art can be. I love bad things. You think somebody like me who 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 has a you know huge Ed Wood collection watches Mystery Science Theater practically every fucking day? Uh, you think I'd be okay with The Watchmen being bad or with Man of Steel being bad? But they're not that kind of bad. It's too competent for that kind of bad, and so it it is absolutely forgettable. And I'm angry at it because it was three and a half hours. It didn't need to be three and a half hours, and it wasted my time. I'm going to say one nice thing about Watchmen, and it's probably the the nicest thing I can say about Watchmen. It got people who hadn't read the comic to read the comic. Uh, okay. I worked. I was working at a bookstore at the time that Watchmen the movie came out, and the lead up to Watchmen the movie, the actual release of Watchmen killed this momentum. By the way, mm-hmm. at the time, but as we were getting ready to watch this movie, and the movie had not yet come out, there was a buzz for this and people started talking about they're making a movie out of the greatest comic book ever made that was where i first had that was when watchman was first explained to me and i'm like wow that sounds really boring yeah um the lead up to it it made it a bestseller on the new york times bestseller on the bookstore chain i worked at bestseller people were buying it hand over fist and watchman is one of those books that sells so consistently it's never a book when you look at like diamond which is the distributor that does all of comics are kind of a monopoly but they do these top 10 lists of the best-selling individual issue comics and the graphic novel trade paperback collections every month and usually it's stuff like you know saga and walking dead those always do really well whatever the newest batman thing is does really well um but there's one thing that doesn't really pop up most of the time, month to month. But at the end of the year, they do the yearly annual sales. Watchmen is always top 10 every single time. It doesn't sell the most, but it sells the most consistently. And it's always there. And that movie got people who never would have tried it to try it. And whatever bullshit, forgettable garbage uh, that... Zack Snyder made, and a lot of his stuff, sadly, is forgettable garbage, he at least got people to try something really, really good, that they read a really good comic, and hopefully some of them use that as a springboard to read more really, really good comics. That reminds me, when you were just talking about Watchmen sort of cycling back in every year at being one of the top sellers, it it is because it's so good, it's the analog that I would say is something like Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon or the Metallica's Black Album. They are records that will always be a top seller forever because they're that good because they just are the pinnacle of a certain genre and um new people who are exploring the genre will always run across them and those will be seminal works i'm the i'm the guy who would one star the black album oh Oh. wow i okay it's it's okay not everybody likes the black album it's okay we're just gonna say it's okay to just no we're not um (laughs) it's okay to dislike no um, ride the lightning's way better yeah uh, ride the lightning is way better the thing i really kind of love about that is that you know, it's okay to dislike that. I actually think Dark Knight Returns is a little bit overrated. Um, as far as Frank Miller stuff goes, I think Daredevil Born Again is you, the best you thing mean, he's ever done. You mean Frank Miller before he had a Rorschach-like uh, yeah. incident in his life that made him a crazy sociopath? Okay, so in the 1980s, <laughs> Alan Moore was looking into the kidnapping of a little girl. <laughs> no, no. Oh, God. <laughs> and, and he became a different person. Let's call him the post-crisis Alan Moore, or uh, Frank Miller. 
Um, I think Alan Moore's pretty much the same. Maybe his hair is a little bit longer. But Frank Miller became a different person at one point. I think his he got the squiggly Rorschach word bubbles at some point mm-hmm. and started mostly just screaming about the Occupy movement on the internet. And uh, he's got... Man, dude's got some issues. You actually read his return to Batman that came out in 2005, 2006, All-Star Batman and Robin. That thing is like a beautifully illustrated cry for help. (laughs) Rob, have you actually checked it out? Yeah, I mean, I I always feel as though that Frank Miller thinks he has ascended to something beyond comics, and he has not. And he's angry about it. And so he's stuck making comics again. He thought he was going to have a movie career, move, directing movies. He yeah. did half of Sin City, and he directed that piece of shit, The Spirit. Oh, and God. he really thought, this is my new life. And you know what? You can't blame him. You know, hobnobbing with Jessica Alba and Mickey Rourke, that sounds like a pretty awesome life. Who wants to spend a bunch of time at a Comic-Con with a bunch of smelly nerds and X-Men t-shirts? <laughs> you know, I mean, shit, man, I'd want that life too. But he can't. And now he's back to him in comics, and I think he hates it. He just hates comics, hates his audience. I mean, that, that, that to me is what Dark Knight Strikes Again was. That was him just saying, I fucking hate you people. I fucking hate you. So I'm going to take... I'm going to take all the things that you loved about The Dark Knight Returns and I'm going to shit all over them and I'm going to shit on everyone who liked Dark Knight Returns because that's how much I hate you. And that to me is like, okay, Frank, do what you want, but I'm not going to participate in it anymore. And that's why when they announced that he's going to do a third Dark Knight series, I was like, I'm not even going to consider reading it, not even for a moment, because Frank Miller in All-Star Batman, he hates his audience. Yeah, and, it's, you isn't know. it? Is there some kind of uh, irony here that the nexus of the two people we were talking about are going to c- combine forces together? Because isn't the Batman v Superman basically a direct rip of Dark Knight Returns? It pulls a lot from I, it. Okay. It, I don't. I you know who knows? I, I think they seem to be grabbing again. I think is, Zach is Batman going to have? Is Batman going to end up in the end have uh, Kryptonite gauntlets and beat the shit out of Superman? Probably. Yeah, is Superman going to yeah. have to eat a nuclear weapon? I think we're we pretty much see it's basically he's going to do to Dark Knight Returns what Zack Snyder also did to Watchmen, <laughs> which is pull out the stuff that's interesting and make it super cool and have it explode and stuff like that. Because when you look at how uh, Superman is portrayed in Dark Knight Returns, he's actually still this bright demigod who's still in these bright primary colors being contrasted against that not against you know the version of superman that Zack snyder's give it where he's like drowning in skulls and the colors are all muted <laughs> he's and so he's... brutal though he... superman's brutal i i will uh, again i i feel like i need to defend Zack snyder a little bit um because i you know want to torture you because you made me watch a Zack snyder movie <laughs> um i think he might imp- you know i i kind of feel about him the way i used to feel about m night Shyamalan. i think he might improve i think he might get better well, you'd have to at this point. Yeah, I, th- I think there's Fair actually... Night. Yeah. Oh, by the way, Rob, uh, you made a uh, Heaven's Gate reference. Uh, this, is <laughs> yes. the, this is the first time I've heard somebody not me how, make how, a Heaven's How many Gate horses reference. had to die to make that movie? <laughs> how many horses? Um, but the whole, the whole reactionary... The whole Frank Miller thing is reminding me of something uh, we talked about when we were first discussing uh, uh, Watchmen, which is uh, Mr. A. Oh, God. Mr. A. Are you familiar with Mr. A, Rob? Yes. Okay. So he's the objection, not objectionist. He's objectivist superhero because um, 
Oh, God, this is always the weirdest thing with Stan, uh, Steve Ditko to me. Steve Ditko also co-created Spider-Man and created The Question, which is a DC now hero. He started out as a Charlton hero, who Rorschach is based on. He's this guy who wears a suit and a fedora and has a blank face, and he investigates crimes, and he's really fucking cool, unlike Mr. A. Mr. A, his superpower is that he's a judgmental prick who lets people die while he preaches at them. He's um, basically the perfect man as far as um, uh, an objectivist might uh, try to create. Like, this is the guy who has no room in his heart for any amount of nuance, and everything is black and white, and actually became part of the influence on Rorschach as well as the question. And this actually came to Steve Ditko's attention and said, well, you know, Rorschach is basically Mr. A, except he's totally nuts. And the, Sam and I also kind of draw the line and go, no, no, Mr. A is fucking nuts, too. I've, I've seen very little of Mr. A, and I really want to see more. He would be a wel- he would be welcome addition to my propaganda collection. Not my comic book co- collection, my propaganda collection. you got to keep them in separate boxes. Yeah, I do, because otherwise they might breed. But this is the weird thing I've always found with <laughs> Steve Ditko being such a hardline Ayn Rand follower, is that the origin of Spider-Man is such a repudiation of that sort of ideology. Yeah. Because what is it that Spider-Man does? He gets superpowers, and the first thing he tries to do, which is what Rand says you do, you own these powers, time to make money off of them. He tries to make money, and when somebody wants his help for free, he turns it down, and he faces tragedy. His uncle is killed because he refuses to help somebody. Yeah. And now the character has to give his powers away for free out of a sense of guilt and responsibility, helping people. And his means of defending and protecting his aunt, who lost her sole source of income, is he has to sell photographs of himself to a newspaper who will use them to slander him. It's like that DVD we bought of the of that movie, the, uh, the one with the trains, the Fucking oh, you're talking about Atlas Shrugged. Atlas Shrugged, part one, where it said on the back like a heartbreaking story of self-sacrifice, and they had to recall the, the DVDs. <laughs> because it said, no, not self-sacrifice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's so fucking weird. So all of this talk about New Frontiersmen reminded me of something I saw on Wikipedia that I want to share, that I've been looking for an opportunity to share with people, and I think I found it. Okay. Uh, what New Frontiersmen reminds me of is a lot of like the early 70s, the, the 70s and 80s white uh, supremacist movement and stuff like that, and specifically... Okay, for the record, I get into this because I read about things that scare me so they don't scare me anymore. White supremacists scared the fuck out of me once, and then I read about them and I realized how stupid they were. This is why I do this. Yeah, you're not playing like the Turner Diaries role-playing game. No, 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 sir. Um, but I was reading the Wikipedia article on, on George Lincoln Rockwell and came across this, uh, and I got it right here. When the Freedom Riders drove their campaign to desegregate bus stations in the Deep South... Rockwell secured a Volkswagen van and decorated it with swastikas and white supremacist slogans, dubbing it the hate bus and personally driving it to speaking engagements and party rallies. According to the FBI report on the American Nazi Party, the van was repossessed after a loan default. My only thought is, imagine being that repo guy. Yeah, I don't want to drive down the street in the hate bus. No, it's not me. Uh, it's on, not me. On the flip side, I'd love to be the repo man that takes back the pussy wagon. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it would feel really good to take the hate bus away from a Nazi. Until you get a block away and you realize you're the person driving the swastika mobile. Oh, Jesus Christ. (laughs) I am throwing a fucking tarp over that thing because that thing is... What was that? He probably drove it to a True Value hardware store and just 
you know, dropped as much paint on it as he could to cover <laughs> oh. all that shit up. Oh, Jesus Christ. I would be terrified driving that. Yeah. I am getting shot at. People are throwing stuff at me. I am. There are so many neighborhoods I am not driving through. <laughs> Oh my God, that would be that would be nerve wracking. If you want to put a scenario in front of me that I would be terrified to do, it's driving the hay bus. Yeah, I mean, oh, that's, you know, that's actually why Die Hard Three is great. <laughs> that, that is making a Die John McClane use the sandwich board was fucking fantastic. Oh my God, that was oh. And yeah. any, unfortunately, anything after Die Hard with a Vengeance was not all that good. Actually, you know what's funny about Die Hard? Hans Gruber. Sorry, I've got to bring it up again because I love Hans Gruber. And you love so Defenestration? much, yes. Uh, you know, the funny thing with Die Hard, and this is something I learned only recently, you know that Die Hard, Live Free or Die Hard, what is the name of the, the fourth movie? The live fourth... Free or Die Incredibly Hard in Space. Okay, so the, the Die Hard <laughs> movies that everyone will agree are bullshit are the only ones that were written from their conception to be Die Hard movies. Every, oh. every Die Hard movie that has existed so far has been another script that would have been green-lighted, and they decided to change it into a Die Hard movie. Uh, uh, no, it w- isn't the KT boundary the exact same as the Rambo one, where it becomes about being a re- goes from being about a reluctant hero to just an invincible superhero? Kind of like that. Right. The, the very first... Um, Holy shit, they made a Rambo 4. They did. They're making a Rambo 5. They're, yeah, they are. He's so old now. I know. Uh, How much human growth hormone can he take? Oh, he's like he's like a side of beef covered in leather now. <laughs> uh, but, okay, so the very first Die Hard movie was originally a novel that was a sequel to, like, a crime noir book. And it's about this older private eye getting caught in a building that's taken over by terrorists, and he has to protect his daughter. Um, it was a sequel to another movie that had starred Frank Sinatra in like the 60s. And because of the deal that Sinatra signed, he got the first dibs on playing anyone in a sequel. And this was made in the fucking 80s, so this would have been him like on a walker or something. So the studio who really wanted to make this script was terrified that he would say yes. (laughs) And he ended up saying no. And they were like, okay, well, what can we do to change this script? So they created the character of John McClane. And Wasn't so, it Stephen E. D'Souza who did that uh, that screenplay? I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know the name of the screenwriter, but I know that uh, they ended up making that. Die Hard became a huge hit. And then every single time another movie would come out, they go, can we just make this a Die Hard movie? The second one, Die Hard with a – no, Die Hard 2, Die Harder – was another movie where bad guys are taking over an airport and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. They said, why don't we make it a John McClane movie? The third one, Die Hard with a Vengeance, was originally called Simon Says. And it had the exact plot that you see, but they changed it to make the cop character John McClane. And mm-hmm. they decided to make Simon the brother of Hans Gruber. So right, right. it's so weird that you have this entire series of movies that at the base level wasn't supposed to be a series of movies. It was supposed to be three separate one-off movies. Imagine... Since we've been talking about alternate histories, let's let's go back a minute and imagine what if Frank Sinatra said yes and they made Die Hard. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine Frank Sinatra as Die Hard? Can you imagine Frank Sinatra doing the Seagram's Golden Wine Coolers commercial? Oh man! You imagine him doing that Return of the Bruno album? Yeah. <laughs> Actually, it would have well, been yeah, better. I Actually, told... that would have been totally better. Yeah, Never that, mind. Yeah, that's an improvement. Uh, I would have loved to have seen Dean Martin as Hans Gruber. That would have been <laughs> awesome. Holy <Yeah>. shit! <laughs> And doing a terrible, terrible accent on top of it. Oh my god! You know, uh, instead, I, of a, instead of instead of falling off the building with the gun in his hand, he's got a drink, yes. <laughs> and he wouldn't spill a drop of it. Yes. You, sir, have blown my mind. <laughs> this is almost as good as uh, Paul oh. Hogan in Django Unchained. Yes. <laughs> oh, okay. We have computer technology. We can make this happen. Oh my god! <laughs> There's no reason we can't. George Lucas, the shit out of this movie. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. 
Uh, I, I, I have to, I, you know, we were, uh, you were disparaging Disney. We were all disparaging Disney. Um, and partly because for your low point, right, is that they're part of these large media organizations that the profit is the motive and, and giving people credit and giving people uh, fair recompense for their work, for the, you know, for their incredible work is not part of it. No. And it just makes me, it, there's something about them owning Marvel and Star Wars now that makes me sad. Not because I don't think that they now have the deep pockets to keep making them. And I guess if your only if your only interest is whether or not they make more Star Wars movies, bam, you like it. You like what they're doing. I just I guess I'm disappointed in the fact that there will never be a time when a Marvel character will be public domain. There will never be a time when Star Wars becomes public domain. There it because it will now forever be housed within the one organization on the planet that is most committed to being able to endlessly and retroactively extend their copyright over the things that they own forever and ever and ever and ever. And that that to me takes away much of the luster of the good things that Disney does for entertainment because they're they will they are Scrooge McDuck. Yeah, and it's a little disappointing. I'm the other thing I'm worried about with that, especially as far as Star Wars goes, is that Lucas, and we talked about this during the episode we did about George Lucas, is actually a pretty cool guy as far as IP is concerned, that yeah. he doesn't go out of his way to sue people who make fan films, that he's incredibly cool. He puts stuff on the net, like sound effects from the original films, so that people can have the best lightsaber sounds and Darth Vader breathing sounds that they possibly had. And he wants people, he understands that fan films and things like that come from a place of love. And he's like, you know what? I'm cool with that because I know the people who are making those fan films are the ones that are buying every version of the DVD I put out, who are buying all the toys, who are the biggest consumers and fans and ambassadors for my products. And Disney lawyers are not that. Disney lawyers are the exact opposite of that. They're the ones that are the most litigious group of people on the planet. And I worry a little bit that we're going to start seeing things like those Star Wars fan films getting sued and taken off the internet. And I I haven't seen it yet, but it feels like with Disney lawyers, it's just a matter of time. I know that the current people at Lucasfilm leadership are not like that at all. They're still in the sense of these are people that George hired and people that came on board to be fans and they're not going to be there forever. They're eventually going to die someday and be replaced by people who came in to work for Disney and ended up being in the Lucasfilm subsidiary. And I just, I'm worried that it's just going to be ugly. But do you want a piece of good news on this front of conglomerates owning every media franchise in the world? Hmm. Uh, Maybe someday we'll get past it and never have to make another Star Wars or Marvel movie ever again and do something original? Well, I, I want to do that too. But <laughs> I think that the thing I'd really love to see, and it's actually something I did see, is, you know, Valiant Comics? Mm-hmm. They were a smaller publisher that got big in the late 80s, early 90s. They did a lot of things like... ElfQuest, right? No, they're not ElfQuest. Oh. That's a different company. Uh, they did... Uh, Fuck me! Solar Man of the Atom, Exo Man of War. Oh. Turok is probably their most famous character because yeah. he turned into that video game that was really popular. Yep. Um, those characters were on the selling block over the last few years. I think it was 2011, 2010. And uh, there was a rumor that they had been sold to some major media conglomerate. And there was this fan, I think, what was his name? Uh, Dinesh something. Dinesh, uh, he has a long Indian name and I'm going to butcher it if I try to pronounce it. But he was like a business advertising guy who was a longtime fan of the old comics and was like, oh man, that's really sad. You know, I just, I don't want to see these characters get bought up by just another media conglomerate and get milked and twisted and 
Then he found out they or, had... Or worse, being put back in the vault, unquote, and not used ever again. Exactly. So yeah. you have kind of those two things. I want these characters to be used, and I love them, but I also don't want them to, to be used. Because, I mean, it's like there was another comic book company called The Ultraverse, and they had a lot of cool characters like Prime and Sludge and stuff like that. And Marvel owns them, and Marvel has no interest in using them, so they just sit on a shelf in some vault somewhere. And they were some really cool comics that came out in the early 90s. They kind of looked at superheroes in a slightly different way. Um, so, uh, this, this business owner, this guy who's a huge fucking nerd found out that they weren't sold yet. So he actually got a bunch of his friends who were also comic fans together as a, as a kind of consortium and they bought them after hmm. they on this wow. lengthy fight and they've brought back Valiant Comics and they've been fucking great. And because they're back, there's all these great writers out there who are like, oh, my God, I had no idea that. And they're like, we're getting people like Fred Vendlente, who did Incredible Hercules and comic book comics and action philosophers. There's a lot of really cool stuff. He wrote a reboot of Archer and Armstrong, which is one of the most fun things ever. It's like every conspiracy theory ever thrown down on paper is simultaneously true. And this kid who was raised as a creationist ninja underneath a <laughs> creationist amusement park teams up with a 10,000-year-old immortal who's kind of a hedonist to uh, to save the day, and they're kind of a buddy group. It is so much fucking fun. Hmm. This is the one that you uh, made me look at seven or eight times when they had the issue with Jim Morrison as the head of a of a Scientology like religion. Yes. Okay. Yeah. That's the one where Elvis and um, Freddie Mercury and Andre the Giant show up in. Yes. Okay. Oh, it's so much fun. And <laughs> that's the thing is that this is something that could have very easily been bought up by a large media conglomerate. Could have been bought by Disney or some other group. Warner Brothers has bought their fair share of things and. I know this is something that would just rot in the vault, and it's really good to see that there's a company that is just committed to making really good comics and not oversaturating the market with their company and saying, okay, so Archer and Armstrong is going to run for 24 issues, and the series is going to end, and we're going to reboot another series that uh, is from this company's vault of characters, and we're going to create some new stuff, and it's kind of cool. They're keeping it intentionally small, and... Mm -hmm doing some really good stuff. I don't know, Rob, have you gotten the chance to read any, any Valiant stuff? No, I have. No, I'm not. I, I remember that stuff at the time and it just did not hold any, doesn't hold any uh, nostalgic interest for me. Okay. Can, can I ask a question since we have Rob on the line? Okay. I've never read a Spawn comic before. I have seen the movie. Disappointed. I fell asleep at the end. Um, what's the deal with Spawn? Was it ever actually a good comic book? <laughs> I'd like to know. I know. Uh, I know literally nothing about it except for Michael I, Jai White and that John Leguizamo I, eating maggots. I'm not sure why you're asking me. <laughs> I assume, Mike, have you read Spawn? Uh, Spawn is something I liked when I was 12. That's, oh, it's in that category. Yeah, you know, I I don't know if you've, you've heard this before, Rob, but my my theory is that there's two different kinds of there's a life cycle to how you enjoy things as far as pop culture goes, and that you like certain things when you're six, and they're fun, and they're awesome, and they're over the top, and they're crazy, and then you get into your adolescence, and you Oh, kinda, sure, yeah. Oh, yeah, you repudiate yeah. all of that. I want spikes, and I want angry yeah, guys at yeah, monologue, you, and you turn yeah, 30. you have the worst taste when you're 13. Yeah, it's absolutely. fucking worst. It's just fucking terrible. And then you turn 30, and you realize the stuff when you were six was awesome. And yeah. I think no, I... Spawn is very much for me, because I was that age, I was 13 when those books were coming out in 1992. They are terrible. Hmm. They are really, really well, terrible. I, I have never liked a single thing Todd McFarlane has ever done. So I, and I, I, I admire the man that he's built the fortune 
uh, mostly on his own creations, which is to be commendable, to be to be commended and good for him and everything. But I'm just like that guy is awful. I don't get why people ever like them, and so I just, <laughs> I'm just like, whatever. He I, was kind of part of a a wing of comic books that kind of came out in the early '90s, where the artist became a rock star for the first time, hmm. and and it right, was the whole image, yeah, the beginning of image, yeah, yeah, image. and it was that era that kind of gave me my my dislike of comics and that, that had, was the era that i, I worked at a comic book store at yeah which is why i spent the most of the time playing video games and reading back issues of hex yeah this was the oh, uh, oh I, I love that your one inroad to jonah hex comics is the era of jonah hex comics that nobody has read <laughs> <laughs> I, that, I own the entire run that it I, I actually want to read those. Um, I'm a huge Jonah Hex fan, and I know they're written by Michael Fleischer, who wrote Jonah Hex for fucking ever. And this was a gritty cowboy character in the vein of uh, Clint Eastwood yeah. getting pulled into a Mad Max future, yeah. which I think is fucking great. Because really, aside from a couple nouns, Westerns and post-apocalyptic Mad Max stories have a lot in common. Yeah. But yeah, there was an era, like you said, the era you worked at a comic book store, the 90s was kind of... Kind of a post-apocalyptic wasteland, and hey, I really liked the uh, the, the techno comics, um, but I didn't have good taste because I was thirteen years old. That was the one where all the properties from people who are associated with Star Trek had comics coming out. Oh, like Walter Koenig had a comic book, and I don't think Walter Koenig ever had a comic book. Oh, he did. We got it in at work. We didn't pay a lot for it. Uh, no, Leonard Nimoy's Primordials and uh, Isaac Tech Asimov's. World? Not Tech World. What are you talking about? That's Tech William Shatner's te- did, did they ever make comic book adaptations of Tech World? They did make a TV War? show out of they it. They did make a TV show. Oh my God. They also they... made a Total Recall TV show, but did anyone watch that show? Uh, probably more people than watched the reboot movie. Yeah, I'm going to guess probably. Silence. Stunned silence. Yeah. Uh, but, <clears throat> I watched the yeah, movie. Yeah, comic books, I was with very few exceptions, was a bit of a desert in the 1990s. Sadly, that was when the medium was at the height of its popularity. I think it's kind of having a second resurgence right now, not as this thing that is going to put your kids through college if you have a copy of Turok number 1 with a foil hologram cover. But <laughs> There's plenty a sense of that. Of, yeah, people actually like them for what's inside the book now, and... I think readership is actually going up and up and up and up for the first in a long time. I don't necessarily from Marvel and DC, but Image's market share continues to grow every single year with not stuff that they were doing in the 90s, which is sort of the epitome of all style, no substance. But they're doing a lot of really cool stuff with people who felt for the longest time that they had to work for Marvel and DC to be able to make money. So you're getting stuff like Saga and uh, Fatal and a lot of creator-owned stuff, which is really fucking good, and is kind of at the heart of the stuff I tend to be reading nowadays. I still love the shit out of superheroes, and I still read them, but I kind of have two different categories of comics. And on one hand, I have comics that I love, comics for comic book fans. Like, if I really, really like an Avengers or X-Men book, I will only recommend them to friends like Rob, who's also a lifer like me, if I like them. But then I have comic books that I can recommend to everybody. Something like, you know, Saga or Why the Last Man. And uh, I always feel like uh, it's kind of weird. Image started out as being a book of, you know, maladjusted 15-year-old boys who listened to nothing but Slayer. And it turned into the Don't pick on Slayer. It turned into one of the greatest comic book companies that there is. And it has something for literally everybody now. And I think that's kind of one of the best things that that comics has going. Hey, don't love that. So, <laughs> oh, I don't know. I, I'm actually really thrilled about comics nowadays, and it's because, in a lot of ways, 
comic books are evolving into something very different from what Sam is feeling about comic book movies is that I think that even though I like a lot of the, the Marvel franchise, I, I'm actually having a blast with them. I, you know, there is a point where I can say, okay, when I've, I've yeah. kind of had enough and I'm glad they're branching into different genres like guardians in the galaxy. And I think they need to do that to, to keep this thing going, but it's good. The bubble's going to crash at some point. There's going to come a point where people get sick of it. And it's same thing happened with musicals and Westerns that they were every movie ever. Yeah. Uh, biblical epics, things with sandals and, and, you know, that eventually went away. Polka movies. Yeah. And the only person making sandal and sword epics right now is Ridley Scott. <laughs> and they don't make any money, I don't think. Yeah, I don't think so. Which is kind of sad. Uh, I will say, though, that uh, despite the fact that Ridley Scott has been fading, 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 the uh, the Martian does has piqued my interest, for sure. It, yeah. Even though I cannot stand Jessica Chastain and... Uh, oh, is that Michael Pena is so overused. There are just so, some actors you just like, stop, stop. We don't need six of you, uh, six of you a year. I actually had somebody on Facebook who was talking about... Certain actors that are in every single movie ever, and they were saying, what if we got two of them to team up? What if we got The Rock and Benedict Cumberbatch to do Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde? I think that would be incredible. I don't know why they haven't considered The Rock for Incredible Hulk. I I think they want to CGI it. I think The the Rock is going to play- No, with just green body paint. Yes. Just have the rock painted green, yelling. That's fun for me. I think the the rock is actually a lot of fun. I wish because he's going to be playing Black Adam, who's a Captain Marvel villain. He's kind of like the Moriarty to the Sherlock Holmes of Captain Marvel. I'm sorry, he's, I'm sorry, Mike. You just you just my my brain totally shut down when you talked about the that that's so that's so interesting. Uh, I do want to care about the about the Marvel universe, but the more of them that proliferate and the more obscure. They're sort of reaching out to get it, the the less engaged I am. Okay, well, this is actually a DC one, so you oh. can really feel safe skipping it. <laughs> okay. I'm, I have no... I, I put them in this, even though I enjoy the Marvel movies more, I put them both in the same bucket of of the the further out they proliferate, the less interest I have in going to see them. Yeah, I'm, oh. I'm getting that sort of feeling from folks that I know who aren't uh, superhero fans. That I think there's a fatigue that's setting in with a lot of people. Yeah, I'm a, a big fan of the genre, so I'm not sick of it yet. Um, I certainly have a bigger appetite for this stuff because, for much of my life, Dolph Lundgren Punisher was as good as it got. Mm. Things like Supergirl the movie, and uh, I think <laughs> it's. I mean, these movies kind of existed in that same sort of low budget world that like Beastmaster did. Well, you're doing the Marvel DC thing, mm-hmm. uh, which. Uh, Gets on my peck sometimes. Um, <laughs> no, I, I don't try to be a comic book partisan. No, the thing is, You're not a comic. Book partisan. I think is, uh, uh, I I think it's okay. But I, I I was thinking about it the other day, and it's it's something I call the suburb effect, mm. where uh, like here, like the closer you are to something, the more the more detailed it gets. Is like here we live in Seattle, Seattle or the Seattle area, where when you're in Washington, when you're in Western Washington, Tacoma is a very different entity uh, to Seattle and to Kent, where to us the Bay Area is the Bay Area is the Bay Area, whatever. Mm-hmm. But if you go over there, Oakland is very different from San Francisco, and we're all Seattle. And I think DC and Marvel is kind of like that for me. It's I'm so far away from it, I can't tell the difference. There's incestuous relationships; they're very close to each other. I I kind of forget which is which. In terms of the, the structure of the movie, one of them is made by Zack Snyder, and one yeah. of them is not. Uh, one of them has a lot more fun in them. Yeah. And I don't think it's the company so much as they just... 
I think on one level the DC movies are dark simply because they're trying to be an antithesis to the Marvel movies. Like they're trying to create their identity by not being something, mm-hmm. which is the worst way to create your own identity. I, I, I think it's I think it's even worse than that. I think no. they're just chasing the Christopher Nolan dollar. I I not no, that's exactly no, 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 no. what they're doing. I, I, I that's part of it. I just I also think they're chasing the popular sense of apocalypticism that is uh, in every comic book, movie, video game, you know children's songbook that's possible these days how can they possibly stretch apocalypticism to to the the dollar how can they stretch that dollar as much as possible and i think darkifying the superhero movies is just one you know symptom of that disease yeah. it's it, like i say i look can, at this stuff can we can we can I, can we get over the, the our sort of collective fascination with wishing ourselves to die like that maybe this is being a dad maybe this is getting older but what i would like it if we would stop ruminating on futures that have to do with us obliterating ourselves and and enduring all sorts of psychic and humanistic harm uh by virtue of just because that's the only way we can feel special is if if everyone around us has died Uh, can we move on please have i mentioned that on the show before that i i am currently i i live an apocalypse free diet (laughs) I actually avoid apocalyptic media now, yeah. and you know what? Much happier. Yeah, so I you watch say... just pre-apocalyptic movies. Yeah, I watch pre-apocalyptic. It's <laughs> so like 2012. I watched that the other day. Actually, when it's something like 2012, where it's obviously stupid, the day after tomorrow, and Roland Emmerich. Uh, yeah. That's at all. <clears throat> yeah, that's that. That's a different thing. But like, I'm not going to see Mad Max. I'm glad it's great. I'm glad it's fantastic. But it's post-apocalyptic, and it's going to make me depressed. So I'm going to avoid it. Uh, it is a really awesome movie. Uh, I share the same reservations with you, um, but it is so good. <laughs> it is so much fucking. It is imagine so good. Imagine if you're being chased across the desert and Burning Man is trying to murder you. <laughs> I have lived in Arizona. It's like Burning Man meets Hanna Barbera wacky races. <laughs> I don't have to imagine. And they're trying to murder you. Oh, you lived in Arizona, so yeah, you know. Like, is, they probably have let, more, it's, more it's, cars are more boring down it's there. It's basically a documentary. Yeah. This is Southbound 101. I mean. Yeah. <laughs> well, to be fair, oh. the politics of Mad Max are a bit more progressive than Arizona. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's. <laughs> I... Uh, I have friends in Arizona who fucking hate me now. Just, just bag on them. Well, in the end, you get the last laugh because they still live in Arizona. Yeah, fair point. Radio versus the Martians is produced by Mike Gillis and Casey Doran. Our editor was Mike Gillis. Our theme music was written and performed by Todd Maxfield Matsumoto. Find us online at radioversusthemartians.com and send us your feedback at info at radioversusthemartians.com. is Uwe Ball and uh, that is the last update we have only four days to do with the Rampage campaign and that was my third campaign now uh, after Postal 2 failed after Indigo Go for Rampage 3 failed and now Kickstarter failed too and uh, basically my message is fuck yourself